Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. What a beautiful day to inspire lives. My name is Jaime Gabriel Ragosa, your host, and I am so excited to have you here. Let's get ready to meet some fantastic unicorns and learn how to unleash the inner unicorn in you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Finding the Unicorn in You. Today, I have a very special guest. She has worked as a television sportscaster, newspaper and magazine writer, teacher, author, and amateur sports official. Her first TV job came from at uh, WRBL-TV in Columbus, Georgia, and led the positions at WROC-TV in Rochester, New York, KTSP-TV in Phoenix, Arizona, and ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, where she anchored at the Emmy and Ace Award-winning Sports Center. She finished her on-camera broadcasting career with a two-year stint as studio host for the NBA's Phoenix Suns. She was a freelancer and staff reporter for six publications, writing sports features, movie reviews, archaeological pieces, and so much more that she will describe today. So I'll let her talk without me doing most of the talking. So we have Anne Butler Montgomery. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Of course. So you've done such an array of work. So why don't you talk a little bit about yourself and how you got here? I wanted to be a sportscaster in the 1970s, which was literally absurd because there were no women sportscasters back then. So when my mother asked me, "What you got to go to college. What do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a sportscaster. She said, don't be ridiculous. I'm trying to have a serious conversation with you. It didn't occur to me that it was a ridiculous idea, but I had grown up as an ice. I was an ice skater growing up. I was very mediocre. But it made me want to have that gold medal in the Olympics kind of thing. And, and I grew up in an arena, so I loved ice hockey. Today, I'd play hockey. But back then, they didn't let me do that. I loved sports, and I loved being in theater. I loved being on stage. And so I thought, wow, what a great combination of things. Mm-hmm. But I learned very, like, senior year, junior year in high school, maybe. I came in and one day grabbed all the sports announcements. I was on a thing called the broadcast crew. And it was all guys and me. And I grabbed all the sports announcements one morning. I don't know why. I just did. And I said I wanted to read them on our show. And they said, you can't do that. You're a girl. And I said, but why? Who cares? And the teacher who was in charge of the radio program said he he was in charge of all the plays. So I knew him. And he goes, Annie can read whatever she wants. You guys leave her alone. So the guys were offended. And so to make fun of me, they gave me a theme song. And it was Mission Impossible. And they called me Big Ann. They said, now here is Big Ann with the sports. The funny thing that happened was that all the athletes and all the coaches started giving me their announcements. And I became the sports reporter in school. I went to college. They all said, you're never going to be a sportscaster. You're a woman. Got out of college and uh, moved to Washington, D.C. Worked in a restaurant. I was a waitress. Okay. No one would give me an opportunity to ever even apply to be a sportscaster. And I went to a hockey game, a National League game one night where the Capitals were playing. And I was with my aunt and she, her friend came and he was an amateur ice hockey official, meaning little kids, right? And he was bemoaning the fact that there simply weren't enough officials. And my aunt said, oh, Annie can skate, not remembering that hockey skates and figure skates are a little bit different. And she's, the guy goes, you want to be a referee? And I said, Sure. And that first game was a nightmare. I'm not talking five-year-old hockey players with their little mm-hmm. jerseys down to their ankles, leaning on the thought-up sticks and their little helmets crooked. And they're looking up at me. And I fell taking my first face up. Oh. And I couldn't get up. 
because I was used to figure skates. And I don't know if you know the difference between figure skates and hockey skates, but figure skates have toe picks, which means you just dig them in the ice and hop back up. Hockey skates don't have toe picks. I fell three times taking that first face off. Little kids staring down at me like, what's the matter with the ref, right? But on the way home, I realized that this was my end to sports reporting because I, I was before Title IX. I was never able to play football, baseball, ice hockey, soccer, basketball. And so I decided to become an official in those five main team spectator sports so that I could learn the games, so I could be a competent sportscaster. And I really believed that some forward-thinking news director would hire me. And that's exactly what happened. I officiated for five years. I officiated all five sports. And I got hired and I worked at five TV stations before I was uh, not pretty enough to be in front of the camera anymore, which is what happens to women on TV. So not only are you having barriers at the beginning to even get kickstarted in your career because you're a woman, but you're also having over here a certain age that you're allowed to be on screen. So Right, right. And the other thing was, of course, I was the only woman baseball umpire. I was the only woman football official. And as I was told multiple times over the years, if I'd only officiated women's sports, I might have gotten somewhere because I was not accepted in officiating either. There are all kinds of officials out there, but there's one referee, and that's the white hat, the one that says I'm holding number 76 offense, mm -hmm. play second down, whatever. So I kept getting thrown off all these men's crews every year because they said, we're never going to get big games with you because you're a girl. Mm -hmm. And so one day I finally said, fine, I'll become the referee and crew chief. And the men who come to want to be on my crew will know what they're getting. They're never going to get the state championship. But we will work hard, we'll have games every week, and we'll enjoy ourselves and we'll be good officials. And that's what happened. I had some men who stayed with me 12 years while there were many officials who never would work with me. And I was an official for 40 years. I, it's funny, when I became a sportscaster, I thought I'd quit. I thought I, that officiating was just a means to an end. But I called my last football game in 2019. So that was 40 years. And, and I miss that more than anything. So I've ha I had to change from being an official to being a sportscaster, going back to being an official, which was good that I had those skills because when I was no longer pretty enough to be on camera, I had no skills. Nobody would hire me to do anything. So I went back to officiating. One week I was anchoring SportsCenter at ESPN. The next week I was calling Little League Baseball. It was embarrassing, but that's what happened. Well, but you've got through and you've adapted. And I think that it's amazing that you stay on your feet and you don't let them bring you down as no matter what, you're going to keep going and always find some way to keep thriving. I cannot tell you that I didn't go through a time where I felt very sorry for me. I did. When I was not re-signed at ESPN and I, when I worked for the Phoenix Suns, it was, it was only during the, the basketball season. It wasn't a full-time job. When that ended, oh my gosh, I felt so sorry for me. I was whining. And I went back to officiating and I ended up meeting a man who would become my baseball partner, meaning we umpired four nights a week together. And he was a Vietnam veteran who had Agent Orange poisoning and severe P PTSD. And we would go and umpires spent a lot of time at their games. We get dressed out of our backs of our cars and we sit in the parking lot between games. And he and I became best friends. And this man had been through so much. He died at 60. Oh. And I spent all this time whining about Oh, me, poor me. My husband's an alcoholic. And, you know, it, I, all I did was I can't go on TV. It's all I ever wanted. And this man never complained. And slowly but surely, I realized I was a big brat and that I had to rally and get over myself. 
And so I ended up going back to college at 42 to be a teacher. Never wanted to be a teacher in my life. But I ended up teaching in an inner city school here in Phoenix, or the vast majority of my students lived in poverty. It was a Title I school. And that also showed me what a jerk I was because I thought I had all these problems and I didn't. And the ironic thing was I could never have any children. And then I went to school and I became a foster mom. And had I never become, had I never been like aged out of TV, become a teacher, I would never have been a mom. So I have four children. They're all in their 20s now. Still call me mom, even though I'm their foster mom. And so life is very funny that way. So I think when what's the old one door closes, another door opens. So I, I have no complaints at all. I'm now a grandmother. I have a five-year-old son. So That's amazing. And it's, yeah, life is going to throw you a lot of curveballs. And it's, there's so many different pivots that you have sometimes take une unexpectedly. With, and I think this is all part of the unicorn journey, what kind of makes you into the fantastic unicorn that you are today. So what would you say is one of the, the biggest transitions in your life or the pivots that kind of threw you off your feet and you're like, wow, this one was like a big one for me? It was the one I mentioned. It was, I'd only, I wanted to be a sportscaster since I was in high school. It's under, in the picture in my high school yearbook, it says, this is your local sportscaster. I was 17. So then to find out when I'm pushing 40 that they don't want me anymore. I'd worked for five TV stations. I must have been good at what I did, or how would I have been on national TV? And then suddenly the attitude is that sports are watched by 18 to 34-year-old males. That's the target audience. And once you're 35, they're not looking at you anymore. And that's a hard thing for a woman to, to you'd look in the mirror and go, crap, what am I supposed to do now? And I refuse to get plastic surgery. I wouldn't do it. And I said, if that's all I am to you, then I'm not. I'm not sticking around. And as he said, they did me a favor because I ended up, I was desperate. I really, all I could do was officiate. And I'm, in Arizona, we have football, baseball all year round. But I, I didn't want to be doing that when I'm forever for a living. I wasn't making enough money. And I saw this advertisement for a sports writer, a local paper, a small paper, not even the big regional paper. And I said, I'd like to apply to be a sports reporter for you. They go, you don't know how to be a sports writer. I said, Look, I was in television for 10 years. I was writing sports every day. And they said, yeah, that's not the same. I said, please, I begged, give me a chance. And it was a $7 an hour job. And again, I'd just been on national TV and I took it. They gave it to me. They said, we'll give you a chance. And it turned out all my stories ended up on the front page all the time. Wow. So I went, ah, it seems I can write. And I didn't even know that. I'm dyslexic. And my friends now, I, I'm an author. I have five published books right now. And my old friends are like, how the hell did you ever become a writer? I said, don't know. Life is funny. So I think the idea is we're all going to run into moments that we didn't plan for. And you can't take it personally. You have to buck up and move on, move forward, find a way to move forward. I'm not telling you that happened to me overnight. I went through a couple of years before I decided I'm going back to school, I'm going to do these things. But all I can say to people is that we need to be flexible. We need to be open-minded. People kept telling me to be a teacher because I'd spent so many years around kids officiating. They said, you'd be a great teacher. I'm like, I don't want to be a teacher. And then slowly but surely I went, hey, and I love teaching, but I will admit to you, I taught 20 years um, and very briefly at the college level. And I don't miss that as much as I miss officiating football and baseball. Mm -hmm. It's strange, I know. But I, I think we just have to be open-minded and not, as I, what I used to teach my students, I said, you're going to have more than one career. 
because most of us are going to live to be in our 80s. Okay. My mom's 98. So I've pretty much got a while to go. And I think that you have to realize that you're going to grow and change and want to do different things. So when I would talk to my students about career goals, they said, which which is the first career you're interested in? Because there's going to be more. You might be in the military for 20 years and want to go design cars because we're going to work a lot and you work more than you do anything. You work more than you spend time with your loved ones, more than you sleep. So you need to pick things you love. And I've been very fortunate that of my several careers, I love them all, but I had to drag kicking and screaming into teaching because I thought I'd be a sports reporter till I was 65. That didn't happen. <laughs> no. Yeah. And you have to be open to, like you said, pivoting into what into whatever life takes you and what you were interested at 20, you may not be interested at 30 or 40s. And there's, we're all full of passions, whether we acknowledge that or not. And we sometimes don't know. Some of our hobbies can actually be a business for us or be something that we love and we can actually pursue. That's You're really lucky with that. I, I taught communication skills. I taught journalism. I taught speech. I taught all kinds of things. But I told the kids, I said, when someone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are the questions you should consider? There are three of them. The first one is, what do you like to do? Just mm -hmm. what you said. What are you good at? And what will someone pay you to do? Because you spend so much time working. If you don't love what you do 90% of the time, we don't all love it every day, you're not going to have a very happy life. So the idea is, what are you good at? What, what do you like? What are you good at? And what will someone pay you to do? Exactly. And I think those are really big, important questions to consistently ask yourself. Because mm -hmm. like you said, the answers might change. Yes, and they do. If you had told me 30 years ago that I would ever be a high school teacher, I would say there's no freaking way. I don't like kids that much. Turns out I did like kids that much. Yeah, but I'm just saying we grow, we change, and you have to be willing to change. Mm -hmm. I could have very easily sat down and said, oh, my life is over. I didn't want to see any people I knew. I didn't want them to go, oh, you're back in town. What are you doing? I'm calling Pop Warner football. I'm doing nothing. No one will hire me. I went into a sports bar and I hear they got a brand new sports bar. I said, hire me. I'm a good bartender. I worked in the restaurant business about six years back when I was officiating the first time. And I said, and I can talk sports with your clients and make them happy whether they're drunk or not. And the guy literally looked me up and down. And I was about 38, maybe. And I didn't pass that test. And like, and what, what can I do? I'm not 25. I'm sorry. I'm not. It hurt my feelings for a while. And I went, I can't let this crush me. I can't. So I think we just, what, whether the, it's that you were an athlete and you broke your leg and you can't play again, or you don't look like you use, whatever it is, we have to just move on, not take it personally. And that's a problem, I think, today. A lot of people take every little slight very personally. And, and if I learned anything as an official, where people scream and yell and sometimes spit at me. And, and I've had police escorts to my car because people don't like the calls my crew made. You can't let, you can't take those things personally, whether it's a boss who says something mean to you or the fact that they don't renew your contract or whatever it is, just get back up and keep going. And I don't know how to tell people to do that. I just know that I'm too proud to fail. And I'm almost grateful to all the people who told me no because when people say you can't do something, at least in my case, it made me go, let me show you. Because when I first went to, I told you I was dyslexic. 
And I came from a family of very educated people. We were all expected to go to college and I didn't get very good grades. And my brother looked at me, he was two years older, and he said, I was going off to college. And he goes, I bet you 20 bucks you will flunk out of college your first semester. You are too stupid to be in college. Okay. I would rather have been hit by a truck and killed than flunk out of college. And you may think less of me, but I like that I have more degrees on my wall than my brother does today. Isn't that crappy? <laughs> but I'm just saying, I, I'm a perfect example of tell me I can't do something and I will prove you wrong. And I think maybe we need more of that. I, I agree. My high school counselor told me that I wasn't meant to go to college, that I, the, the most I was able to do was to be flipping burgers at a McDonald's. And that was fine. She said, that's fine if that's the most that, you, that you're capable of doing. So I took that and I went with it and now I'm getting my doctorate degree. So good for you. No, but you know what? I, I bet if you go back to that counselor, if you could find that person, they did that on purpose. They did that to make you go, hey, wait a minute. And I, I know as a teacher, I, I employed that once or twice. And I think sometimes we need to be kicked in the butt. So I'm just saying, but I, I still appreciate the fact that people said I couldn't be a sportscaster. I couldn't be a referee. I couldn't be an umpire. You're never going to, you'd never be a good writer. And I did those things. And so maybe I owe them like a thank you card. I don't know. <laughs> and if you had the opportunity to talk to like little Anne back in the day, like at any age, what advice would you give her to kickstart her unicorn journey? Wow. That's a tough one. I was very driven. I, I knew what I wanted. I think I was obese as a child. And back then there weren't very many heavy people. It was just not normal. And I took a lot of, a lot of kids, I was bullied and I was alone a lot because I wasn't included in parties and things. I would tell myself at that point that none of that matters. It doesn't matter that other kids are cruel. It doesn't matter that kids put you down. It's what you think of yourself. And, and though it was difficult growing up that way, because I had a very fashionable mother with the spike heels and the cat eye glasses. And she was a reporter in the 1950s only mother with a college degree. Okay. So she was a freak of nature, but she was so appalled that she had a fat child and she was cruel. And that cruelty and the cruelty from the kids that bullied me, I'd look back and I would have told myself, it'll pass. It'll pass. It means nothing in the grand scheme of things. It's just going to, maybe that made me tougher. Maybe that helped me. Okay. Because I'll tell you something. I've been in a lot of jobs where people were cruel. I might be on TV one night and the next day someone wrote me up in the newspaper and called me stupid, right? That stupid girl on TV doesn't know what she's doing. Or I'm an official. I make bad calls. They yell and scream. But maybe that bullying when I was a kid, maybe that just got me on the road to dealing with people giving me crap and not buckling under it. So I would tell myself, don't take this stuff too seriously. It's going to help you in the long run. I love that. And I feel that you have something special because a lot of people who get pushed to that level of saying, no, you can't do this, you can't do this. I feel like it, it, there's two results of that. One, it's going to motivate you or two, it's going to bring you down and you're going to want to stop. So what do you think differentiates from motivating you and from it desensitizing and not having any more emotion? I think because of the jobs I was in, I had no choice or I'd have to get, I'd have to quit. If I quit the first time somebody wrote me up in the newspaper and said, you know, why would they hire a woman sportscaster? She doesn't know what she's doing. I would have I, I would have walked off the set and never done it again. But maybe I'm just too stubborn um, to do that. A again, it goes back to wanting to prove people right. So I think if you know in your heart that you can be good at something, and let me say this first, 
I had way too many students who they'd sit down with me and I'd say, okay, what do you want your life to look like in 10 years? Let's make a path to that place for you. And they'd go, I want to be a quarterback in the NFL. And I'd say, great. Are you playing on our team? No. If you're not playing football, how are you going to become a football player? Because they believe that silly line that teachers gave them, you can be anything, which we know is a lie. You can't be anything. Okay, Shaquille O'Neal is never going to be a, a thoroughbred racehorse jockey. He'd kill the horse. And, and right now we don't have the technology. If you're blind, you're not flying a jet fighter. But you can be lots of things, but with effort. If you truly want to be something and you're willing to work at it, you're willing to put your heart and soul into that, then you got a pretty good chance of getting what you want. But if you're one of those people that just sits down and says, I want to be this thing. Oh, I know. Perfect example. Have you seen the meta commercial with the kid? who wants to be a Dallas Cowboys uh, quarterback, mm-hmm. and he's lying on his bed and he's got his virtual reality goggles on, that infuriated me. Because what is that saying? It's saying, you don't have to join a team, son. You don't have to go out and sweat in the gym and lift weights and work with the team. No, you can just go to virtual reality and you will be a superstar. Guess what? Doesn't happen that way. You need to go and work hard. So if you want something, then go work for it. I completely agree. I feel that some of us have this romanticized idea that we can just try something and we're going to excel at it right away. And then when they try it and it doesn't work their way, they give up because they're like, it's too hard. But that's not the point. The point is that you work hard, you train, you practice, fail, repeat until you get better and you actually exactly fail, repeat. And I think it's unfortunate that so many kids are, are young people, not necessarily kids, are afraid to try something new. I was at a track meet this morning, a big track meet here in our state. And you got kids out there who are trying to go over the hurdles and this kid fell. But she got back up, dead last, and finished the race. And that, I I was thrilled to see that because so many young people go, oh, I don't know, I I, I quit there, my feelings, or I lost. Don't do that. We want you to go out and lose because guess what? Life's going to lose sometimes. And sports, and I say sports, but I also mean marching band or drama, theater, or whatever you're into, go, fail, get back up. That's the best lesson you're ever going to learn in your life. Get back up and do it again. Because when you work, you're out in the business world or even in personal relationships, they're all not going to be successful. What did you learn? You learned so much more from failure than you learned from success. So go out and fail. Okay, learn something and try it again. But so many people are afraid to do that. And that's sad. Yeah. And it's a mindset. And I, that's something that I had to change in my life because I used to feel pity for myself every single time. It's just like you, you failed, you suck, you're a failure. But when I started asking myself, it's okay. So why did I have to go through that? What did I learn? What life lesson did I learn that now I can do it again and not have the same results? And that's what switched my mentality and I started actually succeeding in what I did. And I started embracing failure because I was like, what am I going to learn today? That's, and you're right. I, honestly, I can remember most of the really horrible pl- uh, calls I ever made in sports. I can remember them and some of them were 40 years ago because I learned and I didn't do those things again. And that's the point. That's why I love when kids participate in sports because you go out, you don't know what you're doing. The first day you suck. The next day, maybe you're a little better. Or maybe six months later, you're a little better. And, and I sense too many people are not taking those advantage of those opportunities today. We don't have enough kids out playing sports. It's the same hundred kids in every high school. And, or again, trying out for a play. I didn't get the part, so I'm not going to try out. Come on, try again. 
I didn't, I didn't get every part I ever wanted. I didn't make every choir I auditioned for. I didn't get the state championship, but I didn't quit. Yeah. And you just have to keep going and going with keep trying and wanting to, to do what you want to do. If you have a young lady or young, a young girl right now listening to this that wants to be a sportcaster one day, what are some things that she can do now at a young age to get kickstarted into that career that you had? Read a lot. Read the sports pages. I actually, I read, I still read an old fashioned newspaper every day. I have for 45 years. Know what's going on in the world. If you can be an athlete, be one. It's not required. You could be in a wheelchair and, and, oh, there's wheelchair sports, but I'm just saying you don't need to play. You need to observe. You need to be curious and you need to know how to speak and you need to know how to write. Writing is the most important thing. When I got hired at ESPN, I asked my new boss, why did you hire me? He said, because you're a really good writer. And no one had ever said that to me in my life. I don't know if you realize when you see people on TV, we wrote everything we say, especially in sports. They're all my scripts. I wrote everything. And you need to be able to write. You need to be sure of yourself. So, so if LeBron James walked in across from you, you would have the guts to go up and say, LeBron, I have a question. I just taught in college at, the, at ASU. And I told, I would always pretend, I, I, I'd make up someone was walking in the classroom. Oh, there's LeBron. Would you come down? Okay, what are you guys <laughs> going to ask him right now? You got 20 seconds. So you have to be quick on your feet. But I think if I was in high school now, I would make sure I took writing. That means be in the school newspaper. That's the best kind of writing. And I would take speech. I would make sure I could present myself. Because even if you're a print reporter, you've got to ask questions. You've got to be able to interview people. So I think those are the two big things. Learn to write and start looking at the subject matter that you want to cover. And for me, that was sports. Yeah. And I think those are two strong staples in any career that you want to get into. And like you said, even if you transition into a different career later in life, those two staples are going to benefit you so much. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I taught some communications classes where I taught writing and public speaking and interviewing skills. And the kids were horrified when I said, OK, get up in front of the class. And, and, and they didn't like it. But you need to learn to do that. And I, I don't, I don't want to pick on young people, but you guys... Uh, you talk by text. Where's all the nuance? Where, where's the eye-to-eye -eye contact? Where's the conversational skills? I'm afraid that young people are losing that ability, and it, those are still important skills. And I think communication skills, everyone should have to take it. Everyone should have to take communication skills. I, I'm going to get some hate from this, but I know that ever since the emoji icons came in, people stopped yeah. expressing Yes. How they feel through text. So people are saying, oh, I don't know what you're saying through that text message because one, it didn't have emojis and two, it was too blunt. And I'm like, okay, if you communicate better, more authentically, more, you actually express everything you want to express them, you wouldn't have these issues. But How about just go out and have a cup of coffee and talk exactly. to somebody? Or even my kids, they don't even call on the phone. Like oh, yeah. they, they want to do by text. I'm like, you can't read nuance in a text. And sometimes I've gotten texts that I thought people were angry with me, but I just didn't, it, I took it wrong. So there's not, that you've got to read into text so much. It's exhausting. I'd much rather pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. So I think we're losing those skills. And, and certainly if you want to be a, a reporter, whether that's written word or spoken word, you're going to need to know how to talk to people in person. Yeah, you have to bite the bullet and just call people and, and get used to doing that. I worry though that, that, 
and I'm going to pick on video games and that kind of thing, that people who've grown up looking at screens for hours on end, which many of my students did, they'd say, oh, I'd say, you're exhausted. How long were you on, on your phone last night? Oh, until about four in the morning playing video games. I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> they were teenagers, let's guess. But the bottom line is that all that time that could be spent um, associating with other people, that means you're on a, a team or whatever, you've got contacts, physical contacts with other people. And they don't do it. And I think this is going to be a real problem in the future, especially with couples. If you don't know how to communicate with other people, how are you going to maintain a relationship? If your all relationship is on text mm-hmm. and I have my daughter, oh my God, I don't want to go into that. The, the, the text she gets from guys and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> so yeah, no one, I, I think we're losing those skills and we need them. I completely agree. And this kind of goes into my last question. So if somebody is having, just wants to become a unicorn, a person that stands out and in whatever career they go to, what is one thing that they can start doing now to get them into that that all-star category? When you say unicorn, to me, that means someone who doesn't fit in with the rest of the herd. Spend my life not fitting in with the herd. You have to be comfortable there. You have to become, you have to know in your heart that if you get there, even people didn't accept me. The other sportscasters were cruel to me. Other officials have been cruel to me. And again, I was just too stubborn to quit. But I think you have to realize that if you choose a world where you, a life where you are the unicorn, you need to understand what you're doing and don't expect everybody to bend so your feelings aren't hurt. If I got hysterical every time somebody said something demeaning to me or something against the fact that I was a woman, I wouldn't have survived. Instead, I just ignored them, walked away, paid no attention. People did crappy things. I'm like, man, I don't have time for that. So if you want to be in a position where you're the only one or person that, that is not doesn't look like everybody else, then you need to toughen up a bit. And if you want it, you'll put up with the crap. And let's face it, all jobs have crap. Okay, my one son came home and goes, oh, there's this horrible person at work. I said, he goes, I'm going to get another job. I said, look, any job you ever get, there's going to be people that don't like you. That's just the way it is. And don't take it personally. Don't hang out with that person. Try to avoid them if you can. But if you quit, that's that says something about you, not them. So I, I think you just have to realize if you want to put yourself out there in, in, a, in a position where you don't, look like everybody else, then you have to understand what might come your way. I'm not saying you should have to deal with abuse. Um, and if you're really being abused, then you go to your superiors. But the bottom line is if it's just casual baloney, then just walk away. And the other thing that I find, I, I had a couple, I, I taught sports reporting at ASU and I had two girls in the class and they were funny because they once asked me, they said, did anybody ever make you change the way you look when you were on television? I said, of course, every single station I went to, they would say they would bring in a consultant and consultant would say, I hate your hair. I hate your earrings. I hate your clothes. I hate your makeup. And then they change it. And they were appalled. They said, they can't make you do that. I said, look, it's a visual medium. They're signing my paycheck. They're asking me to do something that is not immoral and not illegal. And yes, if they want to cut my hair off. They can. If they want to give me new earrings, they can. And they did. Every single station changed the way I looked, which is why my hair is an inch long now, because I gave up. I'm like, I don't want to deal with it anymore. But I think the bottom line is those girls were very offended. that, And, and they came in their little crop tops and short shorts. And I'm like, you can't go work that way. You can't because they were covering actual games and things for me. 
I said, you can't go to that high school dressed like that, ladies. You can't. And they're like, why? And I was like, because it's a visual medium. And so unless, again, someone asks you to do something illegal or immoral, you do what they ask. They're signing you a paycheck. And they were upset about that. It was almost like they looked down to me a little, that I was willing to say, yeah, fine, cut my hair. I don't care. But it just really depends what where you want to go, because certain locations, you just can't show up wearing certain things, having your hair a certain way. You, if you want to be in that spe- specific medium, then you have to respect the rules. That they right. Have. And girls, it, they don't understand what life used to be like not too long ago. And they get so, uh, at least the girls in my glasses got very offended by things. And I said, look, the, the men had to go change their hair and their coats and put makeup on and things. So it's part of the job. But they seem to think no one should be able to say anything to them. I said, look, you have to relax a little, not take everything as an offense. I, I, I completely get it. But this has been such an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think I can probably ask you so many more questions, but we're running out of time. But if somebody wants to keep up with you and maybe ask you something, um, how can they reach you? Um, I have a website. It's annmontgomerywriter.com. And that's Anne with an E, annmontgomerywriter.com. I am delighted if anybody wants to get in touch. If there's any young people who want to be sports reporters, you get in touch with me. I also have books. My books are all online, my blog and those kind of things. So that'd be great. Feel free to get in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much. And as always, our episodes come out every Friday at 7 a.m. Feel free to leave us a five-star review. And until next time, thank you so much.